Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby, and today, banks of the future. Fintech companies keep reminding us that they are the future of banking and the old dinosaurs will have to step aside as new technology makes banking more efficient, more competitive, and more customer-friendly. Customer-friendly banks, what will they think of next? But will the fintech companies ever take control, or are banks here to stay? And what will banks look like in, say, 20 years' time? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So when I transfer money, which I do every month from Australian dollars into the beleaguered UK pound, I don't use a bank. I use a company called TransferWise, which is a very neat mobile phone app. And they charge me what's called the mid-market rate, the halfway point in the in the spread between buy and sell rates for currencies with no fees on top, whereas my bank would charge me the buy or sell rate, depending which direction it's going and whichever is the worst one for me, plus a bit more, plus fees. Now, this idea of TransferWise supposedly started, if you believe the PR, because two Estonians, one who was paid in sterling, who owned a property in Estonia, and one who paid in euros but needed living expenses in sterling, decided they should start to uh, basically transfer their currencies amongst themselves. And then they extended it to a sort of Skype club uh, with other people who needed to move money around. So this, in effect, created a peer-to-peer relationship for money transfers, which is a bit like Skype does for phone calls, with no bank in the middle of it all. So, Steve, I guess the question is, how far can this peer-to-peer approach facilitated by uh, technology replace the you know the old-fashioned centralized approach of banking because i guess cryptocurrencies are a bit a bit the same in this aren't they yeah well, i mean in terms of, of enabling uh, transactions particularly transactions between nations um it, it, there's a lot of room to go because the banks really were living off very very fat margins as you just implied a moment ago mm. not just fat margins but old-fashioned technology as well uh, it often took three days for a transfer to go through, and that wasn't because of, uh, yeah. of uh, you know, just trying to ex- exploit your balance in the meantime. It literally was that slow in the internal technology. That's been addressed recently by SWIFT, amongst other organisations, so now those transactions take as many minutes as they used to take days. Uh, but there's still substantial fees slapped on by the banks, and they, as you say, they offer you the worst rates at each extreme and so on. So uh, TransferWise, which I also use, and I think I, I think I talked you into it, didn't I? You might have done. Yeah, all the, yeah. All the guys at one of the banks, funnily enough, who probably I shouldn't yeah. mention that. They're, they're they're truly brilliant, very, very cheap and, mm. and much, much faster than the banks have been able to do so far. Yeah. So uh, there's, there's plenty of room to exploit that, which you, you have to have internet technology to make that possible. So this was not something which was possible you know, even, even 10 years ago, but it's certainly quite feasible now. Now, at the level of transactions. Now, I don't know how much of, you know, the, they're buying and selling money that's not in there. I mean, they, you know, they talk in, and I think part of it might be PR, uh, PR talk, but, you know, because they talk about it all being peer-to-peer, yeah, and, uh, but it happens instantaneously. So the idea that I want to buy sterling at the same time that someone wants to sell Australian dollars seems a, a bit 
unlikely unless their network is huge. But if their network is big, then I guess it is a peer-to-peer relationship and they don't need to call on banks. I'm fairly certain that they will be calling on the, the wholesale money markets at some point in their process. Well, but- well they, they, do, they, they do transfer between bank accounts, but what they're doing is they're doing it in, informally rather than by, by putting in. Like if, if you think about how, how you make a transaction from a bank in Australia to a bank in the UK, for example, then that has to go through the SWIFT system. And it's a bank to, it's a bank, to bank message at some point. Mm. And, uh, and what they have managed instead, and I don't quite know how. but Well, they just transfer to, you transfer to a local bank account in each place. Yeah. Yeah, local so, bank account, yeah. and then they and they then do a balancing thing on their own. They make, so they send it. You make a transfer to local bank account. So that's actually, of course, that's what's going on. I, I do it regularly myself. So I make a transfer from my Australian bank account to Transferwise's uh, Australian bank account, and then Transferwise would send a signal to its uh, counterpart in the UK saying uh, the money's been deposited in the Australian account. Then make a transfer domestically. Uh, from the your transferizes domestic pounds account to Keynes domestic pounds account, and all you're paying is local transaction fees. You're not paying the international one. Yeah. And what they're relying upon is, is not not so much uh, uh, simultaneous uh, transfers going in the opposite direction, but sufficient volume coming in from the different accounts to mean that there's a buffer. It means that one goes down, the other can go up the matching amount. And that is exactly the same as the toll avoidance approach with Skype. I mean, Skype was peer-to-peer where you make a phone call uh, and if you're calling someone else on their network, then then you don't need to worry about paying any any fees. But if you were calling uh, a number in a, in a different country, I mean, Skype used, you know, local numbers, the same as they're using local bank accounts to try and avoid the international charges. So it's, it's a bit the same as that. But I mean, there's other areas as well, aren't there, where people are trying to do what banks are doing. And, and, and the point of today is to discuss, you know, uh, how far they're going to chip away and, you know, what bank could be doing to retaliate. And also the question of how much regulation is there needed if, if people start to work in the areas of banks. The other area that people have tried is with loans. You know, I've got a bit of money I want to save. I'm not quite sure who would be doing that now. Uh, someone else wants to borrow some money. So you, you develop a peer-to-peer network in the same way. Can that work? I know the, 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 there's no opportunity to create currency in that process, but could that work? Well, that's the point. It isn't opportunity to create currency. So all you've got is the, 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 cap, the limit of the capacity for that to happen is the amount of money people don't need uh, who, who are putting that money aside to save. And speaking personally, I've just been through the experience when some time ago I thought I didn't need money, and now I do. And oh boy, uh, does it does it cramp your <laughs> cramp your lifestyle mm. uh, when you do a peer to peer loan? But if you've got, you know, if you, if you think again, who's going to take advantage of that? It's going to be, of course, the wealthy uh, into the social stratum uh, having spare cash and getting a, a higher return on it than they get by putting it in bank deposits by making it available to people who are fundamentally either tight financially at a particular time or lower down the income scale. So it's it's still going to involve a social class transfer in the wrong direction from the mm. poor to the rich. Um, so worse than worse than having a bank as an intermediary, intermediary in a way, because there's, uh, I guess, the people who do do it peer to peer would do it because they weren't getting a loan from the bank, so they so they're going to accept a, a worse exchange rate from someone else, a worse uh, interest rate from somebody Not else. Not necessarily. I mean, this is, again, this comes down to whether you can actually get availability of loans. Because I mean, one one thing where the banks are leaving themselves quite vulnerable is that they've simply ceased lending to small business, and this this is quite extreme. I mean, the, the case I'm involved in is a, is a instance of that um because let's say a, a person who uh is, is a close close uh, close to me mm-hmm. um 
could not get a business loan because the bank uh, that she has banked out for decades no longer has a local branch manager uh, for loans. So you've got to apply to um, somebody in the remote location of Sydney um, for to get this loan, and they don't know you from a, a collection of bits and bytes in the matrix. And they are doing assessment whether you get the loan or not on point scoring systems and the point scoring systems well whether you have income. And now if you're on a local entrepreneur seeing a business opportunity and you want to take advantage of that um, and you know you're right because you're in a local area, in the past with a local bank manager, the Jimmy Stewart style, uh, he or she would know that you were a reliable person or had good ideas in the past. Um, yeah, that's going to work. Here's a loan and, uh, and it's, a, it's a perspective. We might charge you a high rate for it, but you'll you'll get it. So couldn't peer to peer peer to peer lending away. work and, and step in there? Then I mean, you know, we we get used to now, don't we? Rating everybody on the on the internet, whether it's a, an Uber driver uh, or whether it's an Airbnb. You know, are you a are you a reliable customer for for loans, for example? The trouble is, though, you can't do that. That that just doesn't work on on a one on one off scale. Mm. Uh, Uber and stuff like that. I mean, it, lots it, of it, transactions. It, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've rarely been with an Uber driver less than five hundred. You know, ratings. Um, but you don't make five hundred loans. Mm. For a, certainly, as a small business, you make one, and so the you simply the rating system that works at the Uber level and, and things like that so it simply won't work for peer to peer lending. Yeah. So does does that mean peer to peer lending is 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 dead then? Because we do, you know we do need the banks to uh, to to play well, that. You, in, in- you don't necessarily need the banks to do it, but again, the same thing which apply to a to a bank uh, in terms of a remote asses- assessment of whether somebody should get a loan or not applies to peer to peer. They've got to use a point scoring system mm. now. Um, the point scoring is going to have to be – it'll be small loans that it gets in on because with small loans and charging a high rate of interest, um, if you see you see some of the payday rates that are around, which are just outrageous, of course, the other – that's the scum end of the system. I've seen – I have literally seen a payday rate advertised at 1,500% per year uh, in the street I used to live in in London. Uh, but peer-to-peer won't necessarily be that high, but it'll be small amounts of money. Uh, there's there's very little likelihood of putting in large amounts of money because the danger is that, well, you know, you simply can't work out whether you're going to get a large amount back. You can normally think, okay, a small amount, uh, they will um, uh, repay it. And if not, we've got penalties we can impose and so on. So those small transactions, of which, you know, there's many day-to-day, uh, we do rely on banks for those. The banks like to charge us for them or limit the, the amount that we can have, whereas, in fact, you know, really it's just a, uh, you know, it, it's a, a trans- transaction is just an electronic pulse almost, uh, which they want to charge us for. And yet, you know, th- we do see apps trying to do that. You know, if you've got a bunch of mates together, here's an app where you can share your money if, you you know, someone's paying for dinner and everyone wants to chip in uh, here the app to do that you know those those sorts of small they haven't really taken off in a big way yet mm. but that's sort of like a, a almost like the core function of banks that uh you know we could be doing on our mobile phones which perhaps don't need a bank account sitting in the middle of them maybe some well, that's, that's something happening in africa because uh, again one thing in africa is a complete lack of, of local banking facilities yeah. throughout the continent and what has happened instead telecommunications companies have realized that they can make uh, make money and actually definitely benefit the local economy as well by enabling people to use their mobile phones for transactions. And again, because this is, there's actually quite some fascinating stuff going on in this area in Africa right now, because most of the mobile phones there are not your smartphones. They're much, much cheaper than the old-fashioned, um, you know, the, the original uh, small mobile phones. Uh, what they've done is to actually make a transaction. You put one phone against another and an encrypted 
sound message is transferred between the two. Yeah. Um, and so you, you literally it's speaker to speaker. Yeah. And and what that and the, the telecommunications companies that have done this because they because no virtually nobody has a bank account, virtually everybody has a mobile phone. Yeah. So but not a smartphone. Yeah. So so they're not a, not a smartphone. And so they're making the use of what technology they have to, to Yeah, provide and it's, it's quite mm. it's quite brilliant and it's it's also this is one of the cases where enabling a monetary system helps an economy uh, grow in this case it's the telecommunications companies doing it rather than the governments yeah. because in some cases they realize they give somebody like the equivalent of 25 or 50 US dollars and then charge them a fee uh, on the usage of that if that turns over 20 or 40 times a year uh, which is quite feasible uh, then that small they've given away money if they've, if they've created well, they've, tra- they've given money to somebody just because they signed up to a, a telecommunications bank system uh, so that's like they're, they're minus 25 on that but they know that $25 might turn over you know, 50 times in a year and they can charge a small fee on it each time and very rapidly make a profit out of it so um, that is a very interesting and a very important case of peer-to-peer lending well you know back in 1994 Bill Gates said banks were dinosaurs they're still here. They're actually bigger than they were, much bigger than they were in 1994. And yet, you know, what are they doing for us in this? In this, because uh, what, what we have banks done for us today? Yeah, nothing have they really. But what surprises me is just how little they've moved up the uh, the, the food chain. They're very good, obviously, at making the most out of out of money in uh, in loans and uh, managing their risk all their core knitting stuff. But I'm surprised how little information there is for me as a customer about banking. You know, I'd, uh, I'm surprised there's not the bank. My bank app isn't analyzing my spending, uh, that it's not, uh, for example, uh, telling me how much I'm spending on energy and whether that's changing or not and how efficient my energy use is or, you know, what am I spending on food and whether my diet is getting better or worse. You know, all this big data stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they've got access to, or they could get access to with partner companies that you know that are my suppliers. Um, I'm just surprised it's not all there for me and tossed back at me in a, in a way which is going to improve my life. And yet they're not. I just have a banking app that tells me this is how much money you've got in the account, and sometimes it comes as a surprise when the energy bill arrives because they hadn't told me it was you know it was expected. I I have to do all the thinking, even though all the information is sitting there in this big data cloud. Well, this is actually, again, this is part of the dinosaur comment that Gates made is quite uh, quite reasonable in the case of banks because the, their major money-making system is not a margin between deposit and, inter- and, and loans rates. It's the volume of money they create, which is when they're the main source of revenue. Yeah. And they've been riding the biggest bubble in the history of humanity since pretty much the early 1980s. Uh, and that's been where the, the effort has been devoted to, and that's where you've got all the, you know, the the wild and wonderful world of derivatives. That's where they put their effort into. But the transactional stuff, in some ways, they'd rather be rid of it, except that that's the cheapest form of liabilities they need to balance their need for reserves at the same time. Um, so for internal bank transactions. So they ha- really have remained at the dinosaur level. And this, again, like you, know, you and I have a bit of a background in computing as well. Uh, once you've got a working system in something as, as absolutely essential uh, for security as a, as a, as a bank uh, database, you don't tinker. So what actually ends up happening, and I found this when I first came to the UK, is they are using literally dinosaur-grade hmm. um, hardware to manage uh, their financial transaction because they got it working back in 1982 and that's what they're sticking with. Yeah. So I, I signed up with Lloyds Bank and uh, they had an offshore account that included an American dollar, uh, British pound and euro, which I thought was really, really useful. 
And then when I first logged on, I was told I had to have an eight-character password. And I went, oh, dear, I know what's going on here. There's some bloody old COBOL running program <laughs> sitting on an ancient mainframe yeah. somewhere in the Isle of Man, and that's what they're doing the transactions through. And, and that, that is uh, the, the legacy systems they have are, and, and the fact they've got that absolute need for security, the major reason why they move much more slowly than the internet uh, industry itself has, which is what's giving opportunity to things like TransferWise. So absolutely, but they couldn't then, you know, that, that scenario I described, which, um, you know, where just all your information is sorted mm. for you and provided to you in a way which is meaningful for you to be able to plan and understand how you're spending money and, you know, the transactions that are getting out of control. I got a bank statement the other day which had a had a payment to American Airlines uh, for their frequent flyer program. I looked at my wife and we had no idea how that got there. And I'm sure <laughs> there's a million and one people who've got, you know, things like that, unexpected things that turn up in bank. Or you sign up for something on the internet and it's a subscription service and then you realise that you don't need it anymore and actually that's been going on for six years. Stuff like that, we, we, I mean, we can pour over our bank records, our paper statements or our PDF mm. statements, which are just as bad as paper or it could be sorted in a way which is useful for us and that's not happening so i would have thought there's a huge opportunity there for somebody to just say where the I'll bank where the, where the bank that's going to do that we're going to build a system from scratch we're going to use all this big data we're going to partner with a whole load of companies to to provide all this information back at you and we are a transactional bank that actually adds value for you uh, i'll give you an anecdote um, i you know how often i fly Mm. Uh, and of course, I've got to pack. You know the old uh, 100 milliliters limit on on fl- liquids you can take yeah. on the plane. How does that and- go with your colostomy bag? Pardon? Uh, don't, don't carry on. Oh, you're a charming <laughs> bastard. You are. We did our next bike ride together. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, my, my, one of my nephews uh, works in uh, logistics and was actually working for Colgate Palmolive at one stage. And I made a comment to him saying, "Look, mate, there's, a, there's obviously a very significant market for people who want to buy a whole bundle of the, you know, the toothpaste, the, un- the underarm deodorant, yada yada yada, the, the colostomy pickup bags um, at the chemists." And he mm. gave me this sort of. Sort Sort of, you know, pitiful, pitying look, and said, "Steve, um, that's a trivial market. We've looked at the margins; just aren't worth it, so we don't bother." Now, that's exactly the same for the bank with transactions. Mm. The amount of money they, even though they charge large fees for all this stuff, uh, compared to what you can actually manage through companies like TransferWise, uh, it's still small bickies to them compared to mortgage loans and 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 derivative trading and so on. So that's really the, they're on the total backburner. It's only when they start finding that they are really not making money out of the others mm. uh, are they likely to consider putting any effort into the transactional world, into the world. And when they aren't making out money out of the others, they're going bankrupt in financial crises they've caused by the other stuff. So uh, that's, that's why the opportunity remains there for people to dive into the, and take, you know, just not make a fortune, but take a nice little living, thanks very much, out of doing what the banks do badly because they couldn't be bothered to do it well. Yeah, but so much of it relies on core information which the banks are holding unless they, you know, completely remove all those transactions and say, yeah, well, we're, you know, forget about the idea of banks doing looking after all your transactional banking, we're going to do that for you. But banks mm. banks need that. If everyone started to take that business away from them, the b- banks would be looking pretty sick, wouldn't they? Oh, except they- that places companies like TransferWise still use a bank as as, yeah. as as account as part of what they do their own, own um, workings through. So what banks are going to find is their fees. You know, and I, basically, I've got to say this, I highly recommend TransferWise to anybody who uh, yeah. is on, on my website. It's been a fabulous service for me and, and – uh, 
not only fabulous in terms of low cost, on the couple of occasions I've had hassles, uh, the helps line has been just off the scale helpful. Uh, you actually talk to a human being first off. Now, that was a shock. Um, so they, they do things very, very well. And and there are other rivals out there as well. I'm not, not but I guess aware if all if all those services are stripped back, taken away from banks, but they all still rely on a core bank account somewhere, then those banks mm-hmm. are just if they if all they're doing is being used occasionally to transfer money into uh, some sort of transactional app, whether it's for for purchases at home or whether it's for international transfers, they're just going to mm-hmm. charge a lot more for those transfers in and out of their bank accounts, aren't they? Well, they're going to try, but then they've got a, a major customer to bargain with because if you go from, you know, you and me, what chance have we got to bargain against a bank? Mm. If we start using a service like TransferWise and, and all the all the, you know, the money that the banks used to make by you and I doing you know, transactions that have to pass through their bank centralised system, instead doing it through things like TransferWise that manipulate one, you know, two different bank accounts and don't go through the international transfer system, then the banks are going to start losing large amounts of money. Uh, not large, so significant, but not large amounts of money. And uh, if they go to bargain with something like TransferWise, if, if this if they continue taking advantage of that that niche and the competitors they've got as well, then they're going to find themselves as significant customers, not small buggers like you and me. So it isn't that easy. The bank the banks may have to sort of just you know in some ways they need to concede the transactional uh, fees side of their business, the one thing they want to hang on to is that those transactions still pass through bank accounts. So there is, so transactions are fine. That could all be taken away and added. Customer service and capabilities could be added uh, with, with, with modern technology. The issue about issuing of loans, you're saying is harder for a non-bank because banks can create money, non-banks can't. And yeah. and yet, let's talk through that a bit more because cryptocurrencies, obviously, because money is just an IOU. I mean, I you know, the only as you, I know, you've said this in the past, the only difference is it's got to be an IOU that people are going to accept. Yeah, and then it becomes then it becomes yeah. money. So, um, so cryptocurrencies are, is money created by fintech. You know, by, by technology. If you, if you, if you, it, it, cryptocurrencies are created, and if people accept a cryptocurrency, a cryptocurrency transfer, then yes, you've you've had a um, it, it's functioned as money. But to get into the cryptocurrency world in the first place, you've got to buy in with money, mm. and then we you know, we're watching the volatility of that right now. Um, so they they have created um, the. What could have been money, but of course the hassle there is the number of transactions that are supported. And I know my uh, crypto followers are going to kick me for this one, but you know the, the fact that you can only handle on the global global network seven transactions per second on Bitcoin. Uh, they're, they're trying to build things like the Lightning system. You've got Ethereum and uh, uh, the Ripple and XRP and a few other systems are trying to enable more transactions. But fundamentally, that is a world where people have been holding. To, for, asset, for price appreciation, not spending for transactions. So in that sense, they still haven't been a challenge to the transactional side of, of banks. So in Australia, there used to be a, a mob called Bartercard who used to try oh, and... Yeah. Um, used to be. They've gone down, have they? I don't know where they may still be going on. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But the idea of Bartercard, of course, was that uh, uh, you, you got a Bartercard and you you bought and sold services, you provided services and people paid for you in Bartercard and uh, you would get points that you'd use for other services. So you weren't paying with real money. So that, that's, I mean, no money's been credited. It is just purely transactional. But if you um, if you took that to another scale and you actually did have a, you know, your own currency, let's call it the Keen, uh, and, uh, you know, you were, you were offering services 
getting paid in keen dollars, paying out in, in keen dollars, and occasionally someone would need to use it not within that uh, uh, that microcosm. They'd need to spend it in the, you know, in the rest of the real world. They'd have to transfer it uh, at, at a bank. But the operator of those keen dollars surely could behave like a bank and say, we've got all this money coming in, all this money going out. We could issue loans, uh, and we could issue loans beyond what we have if we manage our risk uh, the same way as banks do. So I just said bartercard.com.au is still alive and well right. and has expanded operations into New Zealand, UK, Thailand, UAE, cool. Cyprus, South Africa, and recently France. So you've been researching so, all of that. You're not only listening to a word I've been saying. But my, my, I was listening to a word you were saying. <laughs> so so, what's, so what's, to, what's to stop somebody else doing that? I mean, in effect, they are becoming a bank by following that process. But if they've got, their in effect, their own currency uh, on, an, you know, on an international scale now, in the case of Bartercard, uh, what's to stop them saying? Well, okay, now for some of these businesses, we can offer them, uh, we can offer them loans with with. Well, that is feasible because in, in Bartercard, the, the way that it started was um, quite literally tradesmen um, finding they didn't have enough money to hire another tradesman, but saying, "Look, I'll I'll do your plumbing if you'll do my pl- plastering," and uh, basically said, "Let's uh, let's value our labour at ten dollars an hour, uh, your labour versus my labour, no price difference." So if I put in uh, you know, 10 hours worth of work, I've got $100 of credit that I can use to get 10 hours of your labour or somebody else's labour. And uh, it was a very effective system. And uh, and I think, again, because, again, the banks simply aren't providing finance to small business, uh, it was a way for them to get, uh, to get work with their skills. Um, so it, it does, in that sense, create money because you can buy somebody else's services if they accept a barter card transaction. Yeah, and they could be saying, "Well, okay, we're going to we're now going to offer loans to people beyond. You know, we're going to go beyond just straight transactions." Uh, and I am listening through one ear and watching through one eye because if you go to barter card, you'll find they've got a thing called apply for finance, right? Including properties for sale, and you can ask for the amount required, uh, your account name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And on you go for actually applying for a home loan. So aren't companies so, like this taking another, you know, they're almost getting into the real core function of banking now and taking taking that away? Offer, you know, the moment they're saying, well, okay, we're offering loans. And, you know, if they are, and if you are creating currencies like cryptocurrencies that suddenly become acceptable in the mainstream, you're creating money in a way yeah. that banks create money. So you're, yeah. again, taking away the power of banks. So could fintech replace banks? Could they actually... Uh, have that function of creating money and providing uh, better service. So Peter Redshaw is the practice vice president at Gartner. He said uh, a couple of years ago, the future of the financial services industry is increasingly weightless, requiring few physical assets to establish or maintain a presence. That makes the industry especially especially vulnerable to disruption by digital competitors. And if we're saying the only thing that's stopping that happening is this money creation thing, it seems like now we're saying, well, you know, maybe fintech can do that too. Some extent. I mean, again, again, it's got to be something which people accept on a grand scale. And the fact that the, 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 the beauty of barter card was that it's beginning from tradesmen who are, you know, in that sense, the, if, if you've ever had, and I'm doing that right now in the place in Amsterdam, if you have a, a, a property, uh, you've got tradesmen who are bumping into each other all the damn time. And the level of trust they have internally uh, is what actually enables this to work because they say, okay, you're, you've got in here because you're a skilled uh, plasterer. I'm here because I'm a skilled painter. Boy, could I do with one of those. Um, uh, you know, and and I'll do the painting, you do my plastering, and bang, what you've, you've, you, you haven't got any money out of it. You've got the service you wanted uh, coming at that way. So in that sense, because the transaction has occurred, it's effectively the same as if a monetary one has occurred. Mm. 
So I guess the, the, the question out of all of this is if we've got, well, actually, before I asked, the, I was, my question was going to be, if we, if we don't have banks, where does our money sit? I guess mm. is, the, is the question, and it could be sitting in, in various suppliers. But imagine one of those suppliers. Just think, you know, it's, we're getting close to the stage where maybe in a few years, half of all our retail transactions are going to go through Amazon. What if Amazon was to say, well, let's create our own Amazon currency? I mean, what's to stop them? Yeah, well, again, they, they can do that, but again, to hold deposit accounts, that's what they're not allowed to do. And that's that's what uh, makes it not impossible, but difficult to create money by creating loans, which is what banks do, uh, which is an extremely simple operation. So, um, but Amazon would need to finance that. And they, if, if you, the, the difference between a, a non-bank doing this and a bank doing it is if the bank starts with a capital of 10, let's say $10 million, and it's willing to have a 10 to 1 uh, ratio of its, of its loans to its uh, capital base, then it can create $100 million worth of money. Now, if you come in and you're a non-bank and you start by putting in capital of $10 million, then you can lend $10 million. You don't get the leverage capacity that a bank has. So that's that's the advantage of having a bank licence. But uh, if Am- Amazon could effectively create its own artificial... But those, but those, I've lost you. Those, no, ba- right. th- I lost you for saying those. Those bank licenses, though, are geographically based, aren't they? And what we're talking about is a, is an international regime. Yeah, yeah, and that that brings you all your challenges about what currency to use for international. And you could imagine you you could imagine having the Amazon. Uh, that's more likely to work out than the Keen, I think. Uh, but have an Amazon, the Amazon is the is a currency unit, and they could then create that and make that usable across their entire network and retail purchases. So if they accepted uh, somebody using an Amazon to buy stuff from Amazon, then bang, that could actually work quite effectively. Banks don't care too much about poor people, of course. You know they. No, they hang on. They're a charity, wonderful charitable organisation. <laughs> I don't think so. No, the evidence seems yeah. to suggest otherwise. Yet, as you you've mentioned, technologies facilitating access to money in uh, in remote parts of the world, remote parts of Africa to ensure, uh, you know, one thing that's being used for as well is ensuring welfare payments are, are getting out to people as well. So for health health cover and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, we could be doing the same thing here as well to ensure that, you know, welfare payments are distributed more effectively, even in developed nations. You know, technology could be doing a lot more there as well. Uh, and we could sort out some of the discrepancies in income, you know, based on government policy, um, banks don't have any role in that at all. And yet again, it's another example, isn't it? Of sort of how technology can, can add smarts on, on top of these, these core functions. And it's not happening yet because there's no money in it for anyone. No, and the other thing is actually central banks are looking at creating their own digital currencies as well. And they've actually put those, and I know the Bank of England put their research on hold at the moment about that. Late largely because they've got feedback from the banks that this would challenge our, our our commercial model. And your your role is to ensure the payment system works, not to challenge the payment system. Um, now that might that might uh, if we go through another financial crisis, um, which we will, uh, then that may well be something which the bank even decides sides uh, getting out of the financial crisis is, is right more more important than uh, the uh, wounded profit models of the banks. So isn't that, an, isn't that a more elegant model? So all the money creation comes from the central banks. All the other banks are wholly responsible for transaction accounts, which means they've got to add value by adding better customer service. And they'd go bankrupt. So this is one reason why it wouldn't work. It's all know. that much better. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, um, it, 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 it's. I mean, as you say, the, the, we can get the transaction side of things worked out. The difficult part is getting the money creation and getting the money creation into the right hands, which at the moment banks are not doing, but nor can the peer-to-peer stuff do at a proper level because, again, 
um, with, with, with the exception of things like barter card, where you can actually rely to some extent on people's uh, status in a particular uh, trade, uh, then you don't, you're not able to say this person is worthy of a large loan compared to what we, um, their income, the transaction throw through our systems are. Um, but otherwise, you're going to be relying on the, on the same point scoring stuff that the banks themselves do, and therefore you don't really transform the model. Mm. But they do need competition because, as you say, they're using old technology and they're doing this stuff in a very unwieldy way. So they may be applying the point system, but we all know that, you know, they, that, that point system can be impossible to pass sometimes because because uh, you've got to provide. I mean, for God's sake, how many times have you tried to pass the point system with a bank and you're actually uh, photocopying stuff that comes from a bank and sending it back to them? Uh, yeah. you, you know, they've got all the information. They're just not. They're just not using it. So that. So the. Whereas you know that you know this new wave of application providers and big data sorters would be able to make better use of uh, of technology. They're just being held back because of the mainframes, which are driving all the big banks. And that's the thing. If the mainframe technology and the legacy software is, is a major factor that gives the the smaller operators an advantage because they don't have to worry about that. They've got to, they've got to achieve the same security, and that's where uh, not so much uh, necessarily blockchain, but crypto te- uh, currencies come in. Uh, if, if you can provide the security through crypto coding rather than uh, through the through the monitoring that banks themselves do, then maybe you can undercut the banks as well that way. By doing what? So, because that gets back to almost like the peer-to-peer approach, doesn't it? Yeah, it's peer-to-peer, but you 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 have the you don't need the same security operations the banks do because the cryptography gives you the reliability. Right? Are you gathering the same amount of data through that process that you could be? Doing well, again, look at your transferwise statement. You'll see they've got a good record of what you spent your money on through transferwise, so yeah. they probably will add that feature at some point. Mm. Uh, and again, this is something which the banks will be slow to do. So there's there's a, there's a real opportunity, and that's what we're we're seeing with peer-to-peer lending and and uh, services like transferwise and telecommunications companies offering finances. There's an opportunity to get break into that market, but it's still the small bickies compared to large-scale money creation. So. In 10 or 15 years' time, what will have changed? I think a lot of uh, money passed through telecommunications systems. Uh, I think the banks will start slowly catching up with companies like TransferWise because they'll be forced to and reduce their fees uh, to hang on to some of their some of their core business. I know that uh, there's uh, um, the, the, the international payment systems are looking at ways of making their systems much, much faster at the moment. Um, I don't think the cryptocurrencies, in terms of things like Bitcoin, are going to uh, be survivors, but something involving crypto, cryptocurrencies and parallel currencies uh, in countries under financial stress like, like, like Greece and Italy, uh, they will start turning up at the same time. Uh, what I just want to see is, it, 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 to me, like this is taking advantage, uh, the backdoor way of taking advantage of the the rapacious way banks have have behaved. Uh, I'd rather control the rapacious behaviour as well, but I've got a feeling in some ways these backdoor ways will will be a lot faster than any reforms I might be managed, able to uh, motivate uh, governments to pass over banks' behaviour. Joe, one final question, because banks, of course, make an awful lot of money as well out of out of in investments and speculation and the rich proportion of the population that participate in all of that. And all of that is based on an asymmetry of information that, um, you know, they've got uh, experts in the field who know how the money markets are going to move. Uh, they know uh, which stocks to buy and sell in uh, because they've got access to the information and also the expertise to be able to analyze that. I would have thought that's all the sort of stuff that big data and artificial intelligence 
would be able to replicate and do better than humans. And the moment that's happening, then surely it's accessible to everybody. And if it's accessible to everybody, then uh, it's, you know, you'll, you make less money out of speculation because everyone knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, and that's, well, that's what, the- what, you, what you get instead is, is, is financial crashes caused by the interaction of software packages. And that's something, <laughs> mm. something well, over the, well over 10% of transactions on American stock markets, I believe, are, are actually algorithm, algorithms trading with algorithms. And what you can get out of that, of course, is a cascade in algorithms. And uh, so that's hardly a way of making more money. It's more likely to make more dramatic financial crashes. Or does it? Or does it just make that whole modus operandi worthless? Because it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, I, I know from one one major company uh, that's uh, a high frequency trading firm that they limit their holdings in any company to below five percent. Not just because above five percent, they'd need to register their their ownership of those shares on uh, with with the. Uh, uh, exchanges and they don't want to do that but at more than 5% they start turning up in the data they're trying to analyze to profit from and this is the this is the tragedy of going for these automated systems uh, the systems themselves uh, if they get large enough become part of the data they're trying to profit from and that tends to fall over very very dramatically and they're still going to make money from uh, from money creation is that still going to be the major source of income for banks in 15 years time Oh, good question. I mean, I, I think uh, th- th- we, we have to get the money creation being s- directed at socially useful uh, enterprises. And I think in 15 years' time, uh, the, the days of financing property speculation will be over. Uh, and we'll look back on this period with, with, a, with a sense of horror as how we ever let it happen. Uh, whether that means that banks are then channeled into making responsible end loans and providing working capital for corporations and funds for entrepreneurs, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I think th- I would hope that 15 years back we'll look on this period as, a, as, a, as an aberration, uh, a period where we swallowed the nonsense idea that banks could be self-regulating and behave responsibly. Well, so imagine this. If they created, uh, if they created the money to be, uh, to be spent on uh, socially beneficial projects and we had apps that allowed us to choose what is the most socially beneficial product. Uh, maybe that's a way it could all work together. And I'd, I'd like to see you know, one thing. I'm a great fan of crowdfunding, not just for my own um, finances on Patreon these days, but I've supported dozens of mm. adventures on Indiegogo and Kickstarter just because I, I like new technology and new ideas. And uh, I would hope that at some stage we'd give people the capacity to create that money by giving everybody a sum of money as sort of a part of being in a society to uh, go and support uh, ventures through crowdfunding. If you make money out of it, well and good. If you don't, uh, you're, you're still enabling the sort of failures that are necessary to make technology actually happen mm. um, and a new technological innovation happen. And maybe the what we need, we, we, because banks have given up and they've gone to sheer point scoring and collateral-based lending, the public might be the way to actually get the intelligence of crowds into deciding who should get money when money is created in the first instance for socially useful purposes. Mm, interesting stuff. And we'll all be paying for them in Amazonian dollars, which will be the only currency left on the planet. And maybe that's, that's indeed the case. Maybe that's a bit extreme, <laughs> but we never know. Good talk, Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Okay, mate. Yep, bye. And the next time, uh, we're going to look at something which is very timely, given Brexit and all. Migration. Is there too much of it, uh, or is it just about right? Just how many foreigners should a country allow in? Are they good or bad for the economy? And how do you set the rules so it's all kept under control? We'll look at that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.